In the early days of the American Republic, Alexander Hamilton, the first Secretary of the Treasury, argued that a certain amount of national debt was a good thing. There was no way a country that was four days old was going to be able to raise the tax revenue it needed to pay the president or build a navy or anything like that. So it had to borrow, probably from the Dutch. During the American Revolution, the French sent ships, the Dutch sent money, and Belgium sat the whole thing out, too busy perfecting their chocolate recipe to help establish the world's first Republican-style democracy or support freedom from tyranny. Just you wait, Belgium. You'll get what's coming to you. America started borrowing money while the ink was still wet on the Declaration of Independence, but that was to serve the British Empire with its eviction notice from the colonies. Once the Constitution was ratified, we needed cash to fund laws like the one calling for lighthouses to be built along the coasts, and I think we can all agree those aren't cheap. Hamilton's idea was that revenue from the Postal Service and a tax on whiskey would pay that money back. He was a wine drinker himself, so that whiskey tax wasn't going to be a problem. For him. For now. As it turned out, America needed to borrow more money to raise an army to put down the whiskey rebellion. Talk about your chickens coming home to roost. But the debt was eventually paid by all those offsets, which Hamilton called a sinking fund. Borrow money, assign a revenue source to pay it back in full. Sounds pretty simple. Except, somehow, it's not. We talk money and debt and what to do about it on this episode of I'm Not Allowed to Watch the News. I'm going to have to apologize in advance. Again. This is one of those episodes where my numbers are going to sound made up, but aren't. The dogs and I are prepared for both your potential disdain and that of my wife, since one of her seven jillion pet peeves is me making up numbers out of nowhere. The amount of national debt America has sounds like a number concocted by a madman. As of January 2022, it's $30 trillion. Or, to put it in easier terms, $30,000 billion. Well, that's not easy at all. The last time we had no national debt was in 1835. President Andrew Jackson paid it off. Thanks for that, old hickory, you cranky bastard. The national debt was $398 billion the year I was born. It was $16 trillion, or just about half of what it is now 10 years ago. I'm seeing a disturbing trend here. $7 of it is owned by foreign investors, with Japan and China being the largest creditors. The rest of it is owned by us. The interest on the national debt is, I am informed, a moving target, since the interest is paid out to bondholders and foreign investors and so on. But in 2021, the interest on the national debt was $413 billion, which is nearly the total of what the whole national debt was in 1972, before I had gained complete control over my bladder. For those of you inventing drinking games to go along with the show, every time I say national debt or interest would be good opportunities to take a swig, or any time I mention Belgium. Please drink responsibly. Congress and the presidents we've had in the past couple decades have made their peace with skyrocketing national debt. The chart I'm looking at lists the national debt by year and what I call the excuses for it off to the right. 2008 to 2009, bank bailouts, $2 trillion. 2011, 
recession and tax cuts, another trillion. 2012, something called the fiscal cliff. No kidding, one and a half trillion. 2016, Brexit, another one and a half trillion. I blame Belgium for this too. 2018, tax cuts, one and a half trillion dollars. 2021, COVID and American Rescue Plan, $2 trillion. Reading what is essentially America's credit card statement is as cringeworthy as looking at my own. Did I really need a new grill or that Florida vacation? There was that time the roof needed to be fixed and my water heater went out, but there was also the morning my wife and I spent in downtown Manhattan. If I'm going to be hard on myself, why can't I direct that same ire at the government? I mean, what the heck is stagflation, 1976 America? Between 1931 and 1938, we spent a few billion dollars on the Dust Bowl, which it better not be some kind of championship sporting event. We spent $3 billion on the Bay of Pigs invasion, which didn't go well, and $600 billion on the Iraq War, which you could argue also didn't. $4 trillion on tax cuts. And that $2 trillion fiscal cliff, whatever that was. Much like my high-priced Manhattan brunch and whatever we bought at Bloomingdale's that day, America can't find its receipt for the 1989 SNL crisis and get its 200 billion bucks back. The return period has expired on Harry Truman's first-term budget deficit and the Cuban Missile Crisis. We're just going to have to pay it all off. So how do we do that? Alexander Hamilton misfired on that whole whiskey tax thing, but by all reports, he was a lousy shot. Although the last time I bought whiskey, I paid a tax on it without raising a mob and setting things on fire and needing to be put down by a hastily assembled militia. But he was correct about the need for a sinking fund, defined as a fund established by an economic entity by setting aside revenue over a period of time to fund a future capital expense or repayment of a long-term debt. Let's forget future capital expenses for now since we don't need any more fiscal cliffs or dust bowls and Britain can only Brexit the one time. Let's focus on the repayment of a long-term debt part. The problem with a sinking fund is Congress. They've had no qualms about diverting money from the Treasury to things other than what that cash was intended for. They also raided the Social Security Trust Fund to pay for things like that time Hurricane Katrina went on vacation in the Big Easy, which was necessary, but also things like tax cuts for the folks who finance their campaigns, which isn't. We like to demonize the rich because it looks like they have all the cool stuff and only seem to have their picture taken when they're idly cruising on their yachts or buying expensive trinkets. It also seems like they have the kind of political influence we don't, despite the fact that we outnumber them and there's a vacuum-sealed parchment in the National Archives that says we're in charge. It looks like they get to decide how much taxes they feel like paying. And when they look at the truly astounding spending habits of Congress, they think sending more money in is a dumb idea. So they tell the political parties, and they donate heavily to both, that lower taxes would be great. Thanks. I think sending Congress more of my money is dumb too, but here we are. It feels to me like the disinclination of the rich to pay more taxes isn't exactly unpatriotic. It's what we ourselves would do if we could. And there are statements on record from lots of America's billionaires saying they would absolutely pay more in taxes if Congress wouldn't blow it on bailouts and trade wars. I say we give them what they want. This episode is brought to you by something that is rather hard to believe. That one time, the United States actually paid off its national debt. 
Once upon a time, American politicians hated debt, Hamiltonian or no. In the early days of the Republic, taking on debt was necessary if you wanted to pay for things like lighthouses or John Adams' summer vacations back home to Abigail in Braintree. Personal debt had been a huge problem for many of the founding fathers like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. The former, because he had a big plantation to run, loved remodeling Mount Vernon and didn't take any of the pay that was probably due to him for kicking some British ass during the American Revolution. The latter because he never met a book or case of wine he didn't like. Jefferson was also a great builder and remodeler at Monticello. Before his death, he petitioned the state of Virginia to let him conduct a lottery to pay off his $170,000 worth of debt. That's about $2 million today. However, the real question facing early American politicians about the national debt was never if they should pay it off, but how fast. There were certainly some stumbles along the way, like the time when all the wine drinkers of Washington, D.C. decided putting a tax on whiskey would be a great way to pay stuff off. Yeah, that worked. But no one hated the debt more than Andrew Jackson, who became president in 1824. Sorry, that's not right. Some sort of corrupt bargain kept him out of office and put wine drinker John Quincy Adams in the White House. But Andrew Jackson came crashing back in a big way in the election of 1828. Already quite a cranky crabass, Andy was in a pretty foul mood when he took office. Jackson vowed he would kill the bank and called the debt the national curse. He saw it as a moral failing, so he blocked every spending bill Congress could think of and leveraged a huge real estate bubble by selling off western lands owned by American Indians. I mean the federal government. No, wait, I mean American Indians. Oh, at this point even I'm confused. On January 8, 1835, a senator rose to announce, Gentlemen, the national debt is paid. It didn't last long. Jackson's policies helped bring about a national recession. And before too long, the U.S. was borrowing money and building debt like a Vegas gambler at a craps table. And we've been in debt ever since. Let's raise the corporate tax rate 5% with the stipulation that the money bypasses normal congressional appropriations and goes straight to the principle of the national debt. We'll call it a sinking fund. At the current business tax rate, the Treasury got $372 billion in 2021. Assuming a 20% tax rate, the taxable revenue is about $2 trillion. 5% of $2 trillion is $100 billion, right to the bottom line. At the same time, let's establish a commission on the national debt that can take donations. If Warren Buffett and Bill Gates are feeling extra patriotic, they can send in another couple billion and we'll helpfully apply that to the debt. If you feel like chipping in 10 bucks in honor of Alexander Hamilton, do it. As the principal out of debt goes down, Congress will have to do three things. Lower the debt ceiling to match the new lower debt number. Appropriate the interest saved by the debt reduction, about 1.5% per year, so $1.5 billion, to go to the following year's principal, and balance the budget. There's no point in paying off $100 billion in debt if the Treasury is going to be short a trillion dollars next year like it was last year, and the year before that. Balancing the budget will have to be its own episode, and drinking game. If you're doing the math along with me, it's starting to look like paying off $30 trillion at that rate is going to take 10 years per trillion, or 300 years. Most Americans don't think the national debt is a big deal. How do I know? It barely gets a mention in political campaigns, except to blame the other guy for running it up. Occasionally, some presidential candidate will suggest that we can cut the debt in half in 10 years, which is a lot like making up answers on a math test they didn't study for. See above. 300 years. 
longer than the country has even existed. It's not like one party is claiming they are fiscally responsible and can solve America's financial problems in an election cycle or two. They both are. It's not like one political party led the charge, credit card charge that is, and ran up all this debt when they held majorities in Congress while the other side pinched its pennies. Both parties have run up the debt. They just spent it on different things. Democrats like handouts to the poor and Republicans like handouts to the rich. The part we need to focus on is the handouts themselves, mostly because we don't get any. All we get is a tax bill. And depending on whether Congress is red or blue, we watch that money go to corporate tax breaks or student loan forgiveness to name just a couple of expensive partisan pet projects. Quite a lot of us have struggled with personal debt in our own lives. Far too many Americans are debt financing their lifestyles. Easy credit has made it possible for us to have that thing we want right now, and we count on being not dead and gainfully employed for many years to come. Eventually, that debt will be paid. But there's always a new line of credit or credit card with a big limit and low interest rate, at least for a few billing cycles, and all that hard work we're doing makes us think we need an expensive vacation, or a brunch in downtown Manhattan, with champagne. Most Americans can't put together a thousand bucks for an emergency. Most Americans don't have sufficient retirement funds, so they're counting on Social Security to get them through their golden years. Between personal debt and the national debt, America and its citizens are on a collision course that will make whatever a fiscal cliff is look like stepping off a curb into oncoming traffic. One important difference between personal debt and the national debt is that most of us believe that our personal debts must eventually be paid. I don't think our politicians believe that about the national debt. It feels like they have reached a collective agreement that America's debt is going to keep going up and never get paid off. Either that, or they know a meteor the size of Belgium is on an inevitable collision course with Earth. So they keep spending. Like far too many other national priorities like effective health care and congressional dysfunction, our political parties and the leaders they spew toward the Capitol every few years have decided, in their mercy, that this is not their problem. Guess what that means? It's ours and our kids, and their kids, and theirs, and so on. For 300 years, we better get cracking. I've said before that politicians hate giving bad news. It doesn't help them get the one thing they want, electoral victory. They're not going to want to tell us that an alien fleet is parked behind the moon ready to conquer Earth and turn us all into food, or that a giant meteor is on its way to solve all our problems once and for all. But assuming the continuance of life on Earth, our leaders have a moral responsibility to get to work on the debt and tell us honestly what it's going to take to get it done. They assume we won't want to tackle the problem or that we won't be able to do it. I think they're wrong on both counts. America's best leaders have been optimists. George Washington and his cranky sidekick, John Adams, believed a rabble of farmers could beat the world's foremost military power. Abraham Lincoln believed the Union could make it through atonement for America's original sin of slavery. Franklin Roosevelt believed we could turn the country from a fifth-rate military power into number one. They were right, because they believed in what the American people could do. $30 trillion national debt? No problem. We're the descendants of the same people who beat the British, founded a continental empire, fought a civil war and survived it, came out of the Great Depression straight into a world war, which they won, became the world's foremost superpower, passed the Civil Rights Act, and put our footprints on the moon. We can do this.
Time for you to weigh in. Post something on the I'm Not Allowed to Watch the News Facebook page, even if it's a picture of your own long-suffering pets. If you have a secret plan to pay off the national debt, know what a fiscal cliff is, or have $30 trillion stuffed under your mattress, you can Twitter to at NotAlloudPod. You can Instagram, whatever that is, to Not Allowed to Watch the News. Support comes from the Drinks with Great Minds and History podcast. Every episode tackles one of history's great minds, like George Washington, Abe Lincoln, Winston Churchill, Thurgood Marshall, and Queen Isabella. You'll learn things you never knew about these historical figures as they get rated on a scale of greatness. And you'll learn about the beers and cocktails that go best with your typical despotic overlord. Check out podcast.notalloweddtowatchthenews.com for drinks with great minds and history and where to find them.